0: This is a 7West Media podcast. It's a grief reaction. Mm. It's, I I hate to say this, but it's the death of the child you are anticipating. Autism affects
1: one in 59 children. And with that diagnosis comes an earth-shattering change in the lives of the parents. In part two of Living with Autism, We talk to a man who has made it his life's work to understand how autism affects its sufferers and those who live with them. I'm Alex Cullen, and welcome to Being Dad. In part one of this two-part series on living with autism, it's in your feed right now, so if you haven't heard it, go and have a listen, I spoke to Murray Jones, a dad living in Queensland with his wife, two daughters and his awesome autistic son, Fred. We heard a story that is all too familiar to our next guest, Professor Tony Atwood. Tony is the author of multiple books on autism, including the bestseller, The Complete Guide to Asperger's Syndrome. He's got an honours degree in psychology from the University of Hull in the UK, master's degree in clinical psychology from the University of Surrey, and a PhD from the University of London. He is currently adjunct associate professor at Griffith University in Queensland, so he really knows his stuff. Just Google him. Google Tony Atwood to see how widely regarded he is in this field. Now, we were very lucky to secure an hour chat with Tony, again via the magical internet. Listen up, people, because this guy is a well of information. Let's start off with something very simple because it's something that dads often Google when they hear the word autism. Um, can you please tell me, what is autism? Oh,
0: right. It's nice someone who... General it's a, open-ended question. Okay. It's someone whose brain is wired differently and that leads to difficulties and talents. One of the greatest difficulties is understanding people. That is, what are they thinking and feeling, reading body language, making friends and so on? People can be overwhelming and totally confusing. Also, the sensory world can be quite aversive in terms of sounds, aromas and so on. But the person may have interests and abilities that can be uh, really quite amazing in music or mathematics, to draw, to have a, a talent in knowledge on t34 russian tanks for example Mm. so when it comes to knowledge and problem solving they can be very talented however i have my own personal definition autism describes someone who in life has found something more interesting and enjoyable than socializing i like that i like that a lot because um,
1: and I, it's funny you say with, with the noise as well because when you see someone that has autism making certain noises or very loud noises, that, that that's sort of offsetting the noises they're hearing, isn't it? That, that's their way of trying to, to stop that noise affecting them?
0: Yes, yes. It, it's screening in a way. That's right, screening. It's a, a sensory blocker because there is something about the sensory world that is – and I think the best description of it is not uncomfortable it's painful, mm. and the person finds it excruciating, and can't understand why no one else has such a reaction to something which people think is quite
1: ordinary. Yeah, yeah, and I guess for a lot of guys, I mean, we think of you know Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man, and but it's a lot, a lot more intricate than that, isn't it?
0: It is. This has been a lifelong study from from my point of view, and I'm still discovering more. But the variability in expression is from those who have high support needs, oh certainly, to those who are university professors, Nobel Prize winners, or famous actors and uh, photographers.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, look, it manifests differently across the spectrum, um, and I want to bring this back to dads and, and dads who, who might be uh, might have an autistic child. How do we recognise? How do we how do we recognise that our child may be autistic?
0: Hmm, I think the first one is reciprocity. Hmm. That is that the person is either the introvert, isolated, withdrawn, it's being alone, not lonely, and just really doesn't like being with people and do what they can to avoid. But then there's the extrovert who is intrusive and intense, but doesn't read the signals. I call them Italian drivers. They don't see the red traffic lights. <laughs> okay. But there's another group in the reciprocity, who observe, analyze, and imitate. We thought this was what the girls will do, but we now recognize that the boys will do that too. My son, who has autism, did this. And he said to me, Dad, doesn't everyone learn social by copying each other? And I said, no, some people just know. So in a way, there is a problem with getting on with people, Obviously, there's the sensory sensitivity of uh, a vacuum cleaner or a motorbike going by and the kid is beside themselves. But when they're distressed, a problem is that it is very hard to calm them by compassion, consoling and affection. They have just lost it. We also notice that they don't like change. Uh, things that are routine or what they particularly enjoy. So if you drive down to the supermarket a different way, they hit the panic button because I don't know where we're going because we can't be going to the supermarket. But it also means that when they're very young, as little kids will be interested in a teddy bear because it's soft and squishy and reminds them of mum, they're interested in a pepper grinder because of the feel of it and they're comforted by the pepper grinder, not a teddy bear. So there are some eccentricities that we can identify.
1: And is it also not making eye contact? I I hear that's quite a common one, like not making
0: eye contact with with a parent. Is is that something? Mm, Yes and no. I mean, sometimes the child has problems processing language. So they will look at your mouth to process your lips to try and understand what you're saying. Or... Eye contact is overwhelming and confusing. And sometimes they can concentrate on what to say or do by looking away. So often eye contact is something we look at, but it's never a total absence. It may be a fleeting glance of short duration, but not the prolonged looking to read feelings. And that one of the reasons we look at eyes is how somebody feeling? We don't tell that from the ears or the nose, or to a certain extent from the mouth. It's the eyes, and it's reading the messages in the eyes that they find so difficult. Right, and so something.
1: What if what if a child you know starts stacking books and then unstacking them, or um, you know, th- that sort of behaviour is, is is that sort of a telltale sign? Something <laughs> is, again. I'm, I'm just sort of looking for those simple kind of like. Oh, hang on. Um, but there are, there are a, lot of, a lot of ways we can tell, isn't there?
0: Okay. Yes. The thing is, there is nothing in autism that is unique. Okay. It's a pattern. It's the relative predominance of certain things, like lining things up, and the relative lack of other things, like eye contact. So it's the pattern that's the diagnosis. Nothing is unique to autism.
1: I see. Okay, okay, and look, we know that it has a huge impact on parents. We know it ends a lot of marriages, unfortunately. That's that's a really sad part of it. But, and we're focusing primarily on on dads, um, and how they deal with with that diagnosis. Hey, your, your child has autism. Um, in your study on Asperger's syndrome, you've got well, you've met so many dads. What's the typical response? What's the typical response of a dad who's just been told, you know, you've, your, your child's got autism?
0: it's a grief reaction mm. it's uh, i hate to say this but it's the death of the child you are anticipating it's different yeah. and so the first thing is denial no no like uh, death no no they're not dead it, it's denial no they can't are, are you sure about this how good is your assessment no they can't be uh he's so like me uh, and i'm okay so how could he have a disorder so the first reaction is denial then there can be despair. But we do know that autism can occur in families. And if a father has some of the characteristics, they can blame themselves for creating autism in their son or daughter. And that's really very harrowing that I gave them their autism through my family. There's a lot of self-blame. Eventually, there is acceptance of the person and the future and being different and developing a bond. But it's noticeable that mums go through this grieving reaction quicker because they've got practicalities of what they've got to do. Mm. They go through it, but it's fast. For dads, it's a much more prolonged process. Right, right. So, so who is it fault? Is it anyone's fault? Is, is that how we can look at it or not? No, no, No. not at all. It's the way the dice are cast for your neurology. And it can be genetic, but it can also be in utero. Certain things will happen. Certain substances taken that may cause an effect on the brain. It can be uh, prematurity. It can be early infection. So in other words, there are many reasons why the brain will be affected, but none of them are due to, for example, parental neglect or a, a, an origin that we call psychogenic. We used to think that, yeah. but it's not. Tony, does, does the, do, do, do vaccinations cause autism? Um, my brief answer to that is no, but I want to qualify that. Sure. I am of a generation that really had my training in the early 70s, and we had children who were autistic because of measles. With post-measles encephalitis, there was a risk of death. For example, Roald Dahl's daughter died because of measles. Mm. and But one of the consequences could be autism and also rubella. I ha- saw so many kids whose mum had had rubella in pregnancy who were profoundly disabled and autistic. And so vaccination came in and we got a far less of those kids. But an interesting phenomenon is there are three pathways to autism. One Is a child who seems to be normal up to the age of about a year, 18 months. Now, parents used to say he lost his skills, he used to be social, he used to be vocal, he was so keen to play with dad, etc. Now, dad walks in the room and he doesn't notice. And we had to agree with them because that was their recollection. We now have video recordings of children almost from birth all the way through. And so there is a form of autism called regressive autism that coincides when measles, mumps, rubella is given. And this has been going on for a long time. Okay. Yeah. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, this is something that we now need to recognize that immunization in stopping measles and rubella will actually reduce the number of kids with autism and kids that die we can definitely categorically say that these shots don't cause autism yes i think so if parents are concerned a few suggestions first of all if the inoculation is going to occur make sure the child isn't fighting a pre-existing infection make mm. sure that they're well secondly for at least 24 hours afterwards monitor them carefully and if their body temperature goes up you take them to hospital just to check so if you are worried you can look at those components
1: brilliant thank you for that um the role of parents in the development of these kids is so vital and and especially a a strong relationship between the parents but how do you deal with dads who are in denial about what's happened how do you deal with with these guys that are just they're so they're so impacted that it, it, it affects them so much that they're Well, they're not being the best dads they can be. They're they're
0: paralysed, basically. Okay. A child with autism is not born with a manual. Mm. Okay. And often the strategies that will work with a typical kid, things like discipline and consequences, may not work with these kids. So often the dad is feeling, I don't know what to do. I only have one way of relating to my son or daughter based on conventional uh, strategies. And they try to do those strategies and they don't work and they become very upset as to what's going on, either blaming the child or blaming themselves. So dads often say, I don't know what to do. I'm not confident of my abilities when I try and do things. It doesn't seem to work. And so there can be um, a negative reaction, especially if mum is developing strategies which seem to work so well but seem so alien to dad we deal with it differently i i think so Mm -hmm. and um what i sometimes say to them is look forget the diagnostic label let's look at the profile let's look at the strengths and the weaknesses and the behavior and let's look at what works because your son or daughter is not the first person to have this profile Let's look at the resources. You're a person of knowledge and science, say. Let's look at what has worked in the past. That has evidence-based therapies, et cetera, and let's give those a try. And is that basically
1: how you say to a a dad, look, this is not your fault. You're not the cause of this disorder? Yes,
0: indeed. But what you can do is even if the father has a characteristic himself, diagnosed or undiagnosed, I say good because you get it, you understand it. So please tell your son or daughter, yes, I have empathy and I had difficulty making friends. I was very concerned with the noise of vacuum cleaners. I didn't like change, but this is what I did to help. Let's work on this together. And I think that then it's an advantage of a dad with those characteristics because you can say, yeah, I know. I know. And let's work on it together brilliant you mentioned your son
1: earlier um and I, and I want to know how, how you dealt with it tony how how you um came to terms with it and I just want to personalize it a bit if if that's okay with you
0: well first of all love is blind yeah and so i couldn't see because he was an imitator he copied and he did risky things so he had I, friends because he would jump from the tree and do all those sorts of things and stand up to the teacher and he was doing well academically but of course when he was a kid we didn't know about Asperger syndrome autism was the silent aloof child high support needs he didn't fit the categories yes. but unfortunately as many with autism do he developed high levels of anxiety especially in puberty and he discovered that alcohol and marijuana alleviated his anxiety And then we lost him in terms of we couldn't get through to him because people take to drugs either to engage or disengage Mm -hmm. socially. Mm -hmm. And uh, that also means he disengaged from me. But there's another point I want to make about autism. And that is I've discovered that often the autistic child has a preference for one parent. And it's often mum. And it's almost as though mum is perfect and knows me and soothes me. But the other parent is in the way and doesn't know and is to be rejected. So when I watched the videos of me playing with Will, um, he didn't want to know. He didn't want to interact with me. He really? kept looking looking really? at his mum saying so basically sort of, who's this stranger? Yeah. And How I know he, he was three, four, five years old. Right. And he didn't. Watch what I was doing and try to copy me. If I was doing uh, handyman, carpentry, that type of thing, he wasn't interested in it. He was interested in playing with Lego on his own. He wasn't copying his mum. He wasn't copying anybody in terms of play. So often dads feel, I want to connect with my son or daughter, but they put a barrier up and they do. Mm. And it's just as though two's company, three's a crowd. And one parent is the one the chosen one and the other is left out
1: and how did you get back in how did you bridge that gap
0: between you and your son i had to wait till he was an adult really yeah 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 and then cognitively he could understand but there is still the process of two's company three's a crowd right
1: right and he was diagnosed later in life is that right
0: yeah, because the, the drugs really hid the real person. Yeah. Wow. And that was the expediency where you had to try and keep him alive. He is still alive, unfortunately. He's still, he's still an addict. He's been to prison as well. and um, okay. that's, so that's tough on you, Tony, of course. You, you change your expectations. In, you live from day to day.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's good advice. Um, and, and is that sort of how you, you got into this field of work?
0: Uh, I got into it because I was a 19 year old psychology student and I was a volunteer at a special school 1971 and I met two classically autistic children and was totally bewildered transfixed and enchanted by how different they were and I thought I want to know why why are you so isolated why do you like sifting sand and playing with water for hours on end but you don't like people and I thought there's a puzzle here and I I want to discover more and that's been my life's ambition so it began as a first year undergraduate and has developed as I thought to myself I want to become an expert in this area and I have I can say quite happily I have grossly overachieved I've become (laughs) I've become more than an expert. Yeah. It's wonderful. Well, and, and, and lucky and, us, lucky us that you have well, over a chance. Thank you. It, it prevented a midlife crisis and stops me retiring. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Oh, dear. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Jason Smith, and they say you never
1: really leave Summer Bay. And yes, I'm lucky enough to be back, but not as Robbie Hunter. This time, I am the host of the official podcast.
0: What is this place? Summer Bay. Best flaming place in the world, if you ask me.
1: The Home and Away podcast is your access all areas past to the entire entity that is Home and Away. It's a place where I'll be talking with the makers and creators to discuss storylines, characters and the history of the series. Subscribe to the Home and Away
0: podcast on Acast or your favourite podcast platform.
1: You said that it it seems like a death sentence a lot of times, um, and as a dad, you sort of worry about the life that your child might ha- might have. You know, will, will they have a boyfriend? Will they have a girlfriend? Will they be able to drive? Will they have a job? Um, these these challenges become a lot a lot bigger as they as they grow up, of course. And and how does how does this impact dads and families? Okay,
0: first of all, my training and knowledge is in the whole area of disability. And so if I saw a child with Down syndrome at four or cerebral palsy at four, I can tell you their lifelong future. I can't with autism and I can't use the behavior and abilities in preschool as a measure of what that person will be like later in life. Temple Grandin is an example. She didn't talk till she was three and a half, four years old. She was incredibly autistic and disturbed. When yes. she was young, I've heard of her. She so read the the, the book. Yeah. What's the book? The the bull or the uh, anyway? Yep. Okay. Um, she's now a professor. Uh, leads the world in the study of cattle and and understanding autism. Exactly. And what I find is is I really enjoy meeting parents who say, "Oh, your you saw my son when he was four years old, and you said dot dot dot," and they say, "You were right. He has become that uh-huh. in." positive sense. So the reason I like autism is because the prognosis, the future, can be really much better than behavior in early childhood would suggest. Okay. Yeah.
1: I, I recently watched a documentary and, and it sort of interviewed a, a whole heap of dads um, with autistic children. And, and and so many of them said this is one of the best things
0: that's ever happened to me, having an autistic child. It is. I don't think you really understand abilities until you meet someone who can't do what you take for granted. Mm. So when we say, oh, just make friends, how on earth do you do that? And those with autism say, how do you make friends? How do you read a face? And then you say, I better teach it. But nobody ever taught me that. And that's what we're working on. Yeah, how to tie shoelaces. We did
1: a story in my other job, um, Sunday night on Channel 7. Um, we did a story with Carly Fleischman in Canada. Um, she's completely nonverbal and um, a fascinating young woman. And just something as simple as tying your
0: shoelaces. It took mm. her months to learn. Yeah. It is. You learn how tenacious and brave someone is with autism. I don't know how I would be if I had autism. But it means that you're living in a world that seems alien. Mm. And one of the things that those with autism often seek is respect and recognition of their personality and their abilities, not to see the disability. I've got to look at the person. In other words, who's the person who has autism? And that speaks volumes because we focus on language or social skills and so on. But he has got a fantastic sense of humor. (laughs) <laughs> He's one of the kindest people you could ever wish for. He is so sensitive to despair in other people. Yeah. So you realize that there's more to human abilities, and many with autism, like those who are blind, may develop their hearing abilities. Those with autism may develop other sensory abilities that you or I would never do.
1: Mm-hmm. It's fascinating stuff. We could be here for days, but we, we, we can't, unfortunately, because um, there's just so much to it. But I, I know that in the most severe cases, Tony, there's there there's violence and, and behaviour that can be really, really um, difficult for the family, um, really violent outbursts, that, even with, with siblings. Um, how do we... As dads, um, I guess I guess alleviate that, you know, to try and make it okay for the rest of the family. It's
0: okay. It's, it's got to be the toughest part of it, right? Okay. Well, the first point is to say that this is neurological, not bad parenting. Yeah. There is a part of the neurology of autism that means they tend to hit the panic or agitated button at low level, and don't have a variety of strategies that other kids may do. Mm. For other kids, it may be compassion, affection, putting something in perspective, self-talk. Typical kids and adults have a wide variety of strategies to cope and will try those strategies before they hit the panic button. Often in autism, they can't do that, and their reaction is much greater. So a few words of wisdom for, for dads and moms. Yes. First of all, if you get upset or agitated, you add fuel to the fire. So please, you must be calm. The metaphor I use is the GPS in your car. When it tells you to turn left and you don't, it doesn't say, what the bloody hell are you doing? I just asked you to turn left. We're going to be late. You keep doing this. You are a dreadful driver. It doesn't. It just says, at the next junction, turn left. But it tells you what to do in a calm, reassuring voice. When I talk to those with autism, I say, look, when you have a meltdown, what do you want your parents to do or not do? And they often say, don't interrogate me. Don't keep asking questions about what's the problem. What? Where? where. Okay. At that stage, they haven't got the ability to be eloquent, articulate and sequential in describing what's upsetting. them. Yeah. The next thing is you need to validate the feeling. You're upset. I can see you are. You're definitely upset, but it will go. Don't know when, but it will go. And when it does, we'll do something nice together. But we must let it go let it be as paul mccartney said so those are some useful strategies now what you might do afterwards is say okay uh there was an argument with the little brother and say okay what would be the smart thing to do walk away leave him alone tell me right okay we're going to replay that we are going to read it i want you to play with your brother And I want the little brother to run away with a Lego piece you want, but this time use the new strategies because before it relied on auditory memory. What did Dad say? That's gone fast. But if you've got visual memory, kinesthetic memory and success that it worked, then you're more likely to recall it when you need to. I
1: love it. Love it, yeah. That's that's fantastic, and and dads out there listening will, will, will love that too. Um, who are in the in the in the grips of having an autistic child, um, you know, friends, family that I have will will be listening to that and thank God that's it's such wonderful advice, Tony. Um, and I guess what what about um, technologies? Is, is there technology out there? I understand there's there's an eye test. Do you know about this that that can sort of spot this quite early? I know this is quite a new a new thing.
0: I I think as as we get to discover more about autism, I think we will pick it up earlier and earlier. Mm. The brain is fairly plastic and we will start teaching various skills and so on. But when we come to the topic of technology, this is something that goes with autism in terms of a special interest. And what is a special interest and what is an obsession or addiction? And sometimes parents, dads are concerned that he spends too much time on Minecraft or other games and so on. And it seems that on the computer, you don't have autism. You don't have a social difficulty, a conversational difficulty. It's visual and you are able to demonstrate your talents and have the wow factor. People applaud you because of your knowledge of of technology and the computer games that the risk in autism is that that enjoyment is addictive. But also when you're playing on the computer, it acts as a thought blocker for anxious or sad thoughts. It's therapeutic for you. It gives you self-esteem because you've got the wow factor from the other gamers. So the risk is the new generation coming through, the first generation, and this is the general public, but especially those with autism, are becoming addicted to the games. And dads say, how much is enough? The general convention is two hours a day, but some of the kids become very upset if thwarted from access to computers. Yeah, becomes 20 a day. Yeah, I'm afraid so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we should be lessening
1: that. Is that what you're saying, the, the, the access to computer games?
0: <laughs> yes, it, it's what is a reasonable amount, but if you... Reduce it. It's also um, what you're going to do with time. And this is my suggestion for dad sometimes is to take the special interest, whether it be Thomas, the tank engine drain covers or the Titanic and explore that together. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because if you want to connect, it needs to be on something, the person with autism values. So it's get them using the internet to where was the Titanic built? Harland and Wolf. Shipyards in Belfast, ah, let's see if we can find some pictures of it. Let's have a look at the building I was there l- earlier this year, where it was actually designed. Yeah. Well, there were two other ships in the same line. What were their names, etc. So what dads can do is take the interest and play with the person because you know they're motivated and you share it. So if you're going to link, it's that. Secondly, another thing for dads, especially for boys is sporting activities because amongst boys it's uh handball it's your ability in team sports etc and so the issue is it's not necessarily to be an olympic champion but at least to be included in the team and not the last to be chosen Mm. okay so it is in terms of catching skills running skills all those sorts of things dads can do as part of their activity so i asked dads Watch children, your son or daughter's age. What are they playing? What are they doing? Then you do it. But you can slow it down, stop it, applaud them and help them. So I ask dads to be observers of your son or daughter's peer group. Observe what they do. What equipment? How do they play it? What do they say? Then you rehearse it.
1: Okay. I think you you sort of answered my next question, which was, you know, how do we... Um, how do we make being dad to kids with autism better, you know, for,
0: for, for the child and, and your partner? I, I think it's, it's to make life fun. Yeah. It's, oh, look at this, isn't this interesting? Rather than come here, learn it, and we're going to test you on it. Yeah. Okay. And I think that another thing is that something that is difficult to do at school is love and acceptance. Now, now that's unconditional. It's not because you've done this puzzle I'll give you whatever uh, as a positive regard. It's just for being you. Mm. And it's exploring their personality, who they are, and the challenges they face and how they cope with it. Because it's very important to have parents' acceptance. Otherwise, kids will say, but you only looked at me for what I could achieve on the test,
1: not who I was. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, gener- the the danger is is generalising too. Like every single you said this earlier. Every single child with autism is is unique, aren't
0: they? There's there's no kind of set standard. They're unique in their profile of autism, yeah, and their personality and their circumstances. Hmm. Yeah. Now there are certain common threads that we will work on, but that child is someone who needs their dad to love and accept them Mm. and sometimes when you're exasperated with them to try and manage it in a way that doesn't leave both of you feeling bad about what happened
1: (laughs) again great advice um is there hope you know i guess one for a cure and also um i guess more more targeted treatment
0: Oh, look, I, my work in, in psychotherapy is not to cure. It's to accept. Yeah. And I think when you have acceptance, then you'll have an improvement in abilities. If you don't, you're going to have depression, agitation and fighting the world because you're not accepted and valued. Psychologically, it's a problem. In using the term Asperger syndrome and Aspie, my role is be a first rate Aspie, not a second rate neurotypical. So be true to who you are. It's okay to be different. It's the new concept of neurodiversity, and we need neurodiversity because in many ways the greatest advances in science and art have been made by people with autism. So we need people with autism. Otherwise, we would, as Temple Grandin said, still be in caves talking to each other. Yeah. Like, like who, Tony? Who were those people? Well, I think you've got Einstein, Einstein. you've got Vince, uh, Vincent van Gogh and a few others wow. who very clearly were able, if you look at Vincent van Gogh's use of colour and painting, you go, wow, don't look at his photographs, go and see the original paintings. And you go, yeah. wow. Um, interestingly, I've just read a book uh, on um, Beethoven. And, of course, he was well-known from when he was young, and so a lot of people wrote about him. It's classic Asperger syndrome, yeah. and he couldn't describe himself in speech, but he could in music, and his music was Beethoven. Gee. And I just think people now appreciate his music because he was Asperger's. So we need to switch it from disability to a difference. Yeah, and ability.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um. Awesome. And, and can I ask Tony,
0: how your son is now? Ups and downs. It yes. depends on his moods. He's learned that he can use self-administered medication and illegal drugs to manage his emotions. If I could turn back time mm. to his teenage years, it would be to help him cope with anxiety. Mm. We didn't realize how deep it would go and how quickly he'd find a solution in drugs. So sometimes when I'm dealing with autism, the problem isn't autism, it's anxiety management. And that's where dads and others can be helpful in helping that person manage and regulate their emotions. And then they can use the autistic qualities for a successful career.
1: Mm, mm, brilliant. And and just if if we do have a child that you may suspect has autism. Um, what what do we do? Do we do we go to the GP? How, how does it work?
0: It's usually GP, and the GP will refer often to a developmental paediatrician or a psychologist or team that works in the area of autism. Usually a multidisciplinary assessment in terms of language, movement, sensory sensitivity, psychological abilities, and so on. So the team will usually assess. And now we have funding, NDIS, for example. To provide the support but it's it's something that will change as the person matures yeah. and friendship for example changes from just playing in the sandpit together to issues in terms of disclosing your inner thoughts and feelings to your best mate so it's a continuing process mm. but the one thread that comes through all through that person's life is a parent And that parent then collects valuable information and reads that child like no one else. And so I see if you've been observing and interacting with your child for seven years, they're seven years old. You have an honorary PhD in the study of your son or daughter, Mm -hmm. and you should be credited with an honorary doctorate in the study of your son. That's wonderful, Tony. Thank you so much,
1: mate. I, I, I can't tell you how, how much we appreciate this. And, and I'm sure the same goes for dads out there that uh, are going through, well, living with, with an autistic child. It's your, your advice is just invaluable. So thank you so, so much. Thank you. All I can say is I know. Yeah, we know. You're the best yeah. in the business. So thank you again. <laughs> okay, thanks, Alex. Okay, thanks. thanks. Bye. You've got to love his incredibly, incredibly positive outlook and approach, which I think is so good, and that's seeing people with autism as people with different abilities. It's a great way of framing a condition that so many people are affected by. I really hope that for those of you who are struggling with a recent diagnosis or the ongoing challenges of living with an autistic child, that these two chats have given you some perspective and hope. For more info, check out autismawareness.com.au. They've got some great resources for parents who are new to the diagnosis, as well as info about the NDIS and also an amazing video about dads with autistic children. Have a look. It's really cool. We've put all of Tony's information and links to some great resources in the show notes, and we will also post these to our Facebook page. I also just want to pause for a second and take this opportunity to say a big thank you to all of you, the listeners, and your amazing, amazing feedback. It's just been great. It seems to have really struck a chord with people, and I say people because we're finding that dads and mums are listening. Isn't that great? I think it's been good for mums and partners to hear how dads are coping and what they perhaps might be going through to really hear it from a dad's perspective, which I think is is really cool. And Jake and I enjoy doing it. We love it. We're learning. We're always learning. And we're always amazed at our guests and their stories and the inspiration they provide. So a huge thank you to all of them, too. And a special shout out to Singer. He's a dad and a mate from uni, a bloke I played footy with back in those days. And he left me a voice message on Facebook the other day. I didn't know he could do that. And he said to me, what we're doing is awesome and to keep it up and that fatherhood is just the best job in the world. And I actually almost teared up listening to it because it, it came at a time when I was stressing hard. I was really, really struggling actually about you know how busy work was, about the kids, uh, my dad's passing, which was nearly a couple of years ago now, but it's sort of its ongoing effects on the family. This podcast and making time for that and just trying to keep it all together, really. And to be given those words of reassurance like that was just the best. It just made all the difference, you know, and I don't know, it was, I guess, something I needed to hear. And we really hope this podcast is making a difference to dad's lives by giving you some kind of reassurance that you're not alone. We're in this together. And if you are struggling, we're providing some ways to make that struggle a little bit easier. So from me and producer Jake, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And keep messaging us on the Being Dad Facebook page about any topics that you think we should be covering. We've got plenty of great episodes coming up and one that we're particularly excited about that had us absolutely floored by what we were hearing. And we can't wait to bring that to you. So please stay tuned. If this episode has been of use to you, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. It does help other dads find us. And uh, please subscribe to Being Dad with Alex Cullen wherever you get your podcasts. And again, share, share, share. And we're going to end each episode with a quote from a dad we may or may not know and this week you've probably heard of this guy it's jerry seinfeld who said having a two-year-old is like having a blender without a lid true that (laughs) thanks so much for listening and talk to you next week this was a seven west podcast the producer is jake taylor nikki hamilton is our executive producer